0: Hello, welcome, thank you for joining me on First Responder Psychological Support. This is season one, episode 11, and I'm just calling this simply the limbic system. And as always, I want to introduce myself. My name is Sarah Gura. I have a master's degree in counseling psychology. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois, an EMDR therapist, a yoga teacher, And my private practice is the self-care path in Burr Ridge, where I treat first responders. And again, we're going to be talking about the limbic system or your emotion center. But before we do that, I want to invite you to take a nice deep breath in, expand your chest, and when you're ready, just go ahead and exhale on your own and allow all that to release. Maybe take another breath in if you would like to. If you can, close your eyes for just a moment and... Prepare yourself to transition and adjust the mind so that it can be in that listening space. And as always, I encourage people to ground themselves, whether it's through their feet and connecting with the floor or in their sit bones, and just make your spine nice and straight and pull the shoulders down and away from the ears. And hopefully, by now, we've got a decent beginning uh, for this podcast. So, I want to talk about the limbic system or the emotion center that's in the structure of your brain because basically I'm a nerd. So this is a nerd alert and uh I absolutely loved psychobiology and statistics in college. Uh my my professor for both of those classes was the same person. His name was Dr. G and a lot of people, I think, struggled with these classes. Um, a lot of us right brain therapist types, we're not into the science and the mathematics as much as we are the language uh, and the emotion or the relationship and connection of being a therapist or a psychology professional. But uh, like I said, I absolutely loved the class was called psychobiology and Even though I absolutely hated statistics, I was fascinated by finding the answers and knowing that they were solid or concrete, right? So anyway, I definitely wanted to talk about this because some of this seems, as I always say, very subjective. A lot of the thoughts and ideas that I've talked about in this podcast so far can be questioned, right? And so we lean towards science and facts and some objective knowledge in order to feel better about these subjective experiences of being a first responder. So, Without further ado, I'll just jump in and say that usually when I teach a class I throw up a picture of the limbic system. So if you ever wanted to Google limbic system, you could take a look at what I'm talking about. And on either side of that brain structure on the PowerPoint, I will put on the right side a beautiful drop of water and on the left side a filing cabinet. And the reason I do that is because I think of my right brain as my emotional side, my creative side, my relationship side. It's the part of the brain that definitely wants to create and be productive and handle emotions, let's say. And I always mention that that drop of water reminds me of that because if you don't take care of that stuff as beautiful as it is, if you don't take care of it, it will wither away a stone and water can definitely wither away a stone. And so you might think that you're being stoic, but in the end, it could be reshaping the way that you think and process or affect, you know, the way your moods and personality even, um, let's say manifest. But the filing cabinet part, I put on the left side of the PowerPoint because that's representing the left brain to me. And I think of the left brain as this logical, rational part of your brain that uses symbols and language to soothe and take care of the right side of your brain. So you have a Broca's area on the left side and another area called the Wernicke's. And Broca's area is actually helping me speak to you right now. Wernicke's area is helping you listen to me right now. And so when we're processing and taking in information and sharing information we are handling and soothing and working with you know whatever it is that we're experiencing. So what's interesting though is let's say that something external of you like a traumatic experience is flooding into your senses then we have to talk about the brainstem for a moment. So the brainstem, is at the base of your brain. It's a deep structure of your cerebral hemispheres. And it has three parts to it. It has a midbrain, it has a pons, it has the medulla oblongata. everybody's favorite word. And I think it was from a famous cartoon, maybe that people like to say that. Uh, but those three parts uh, at the base of your brain, this brainstem is what is the control center for your breathing, your heartbeat, and a lot of other involuntary actions of the body. You know, basically, as the sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system responds to whatever is going on uh, in your life at that moment. And maybe just a quick reminder that the sympathetic nervous system is what's reacting to the environment in this particular example and the parasympathetic nervous system is what would calm and soothe so anyway i want you to keep imagining the brainstem for a moment in fact sometimes i will use my forearm from my elbow to my wrist and say okay here's my brain stem it's a sensory organ it's pulling in all this information from the external world, through your sight, your nose, taste, touch, hearing. And it's taking that sensory information and it's passing it from the brain to the rest of your body. And all this stuff that your brain collects from your senses to give you information about what's going on in the world around you I would like to argue that there's also even a sixth sense in your gut and in your intuition that is also going to give you information about what you're perceiving or what you're experiencing. But for the sake of talking about trauma, uh, let's say that, again, there's something happening in the external world. Your brainstem is what's going to sense all of that. And next, from your brainstem, the information goes into the midbrain hitting the thalamus. So I said before, imagine that your brainstem is your forearm, and then I would say the thalamus is your fist. And that thalamus in the midbrain is responsible for processing, for filtering, and even transferring most of our sensory information to ourself. So once again, information in the external world gets picked up by our senses, the brainstem travels that information to the thalamus, and the thalamus is responsible for processing all of this. It actually also makes some decisions about whether or not to send this information onto our awareness, uh, for our consciousness to consider it. Um, it can create even a personal narrative of the memory that you have experienced, but big butt. If there's a trauma, the brain at the thalamus level could shut down. I always give the analogy of some train tracks for this. So when I think of thalamus, I think of train tracks. If the train tracks go left, the information should go left. If the train tracks go right, then the information should go right and that train should be fine. But if something external of you floods in through the senses, gets sent up through the brainstem to your thalamus, and the thalamus says, I didn't switch the tracks on time. I don't know which way to send the tracks. Oops, I messed up, right? Now we're at the beginning of a trauma and that shutdown. Also, uh, there's less filtering by the thalamus. That's what happens during a traumatic event. And more information at that time will become way more conscious because of that, because of the less filtering that happens when there is a trauma, specifically in your thalamus, by the way. So why does that happen? Why would it want to give you so much more information to become so hyperconscious about? Well, it wants to warn you. It wants to get you very conscious and it wants you to activate like a heightened sense of awareness basically so that you can improve your motor reflexes. So the faster the information, the faster the reaction um, in your body and your mind everywhere. Um, Unfortunately, the result of that pretty wild process is that you're going to have what I would call a snapshot memory, a frame memory instead of a timeline memory. So if it's not a traumatic memory, I can remember A, then B, then C, then D. In a traumatic memory, um, you can get what we call snapshot memory, which could be very vivid and very explicit, but it's more snapshot, snapshot than timeline-like. But anyway, let's keep putting this all together. What's happening? External stimulus happens. It hits the brainstem. The brainstem sends it up to the thalamus. The thalamus is overwhelmed, doesn't know which way to send it on the train tracks. And this is where we want to talk about the hippocampus, right? So stick with me with all this crazy language. Um, In college, most of my professors had a heavy accent on top of it. And it was kind of funny trying to learn the English words that they had an accent to. And then I would say it with an accent and not know it. <laughs> so um, some of this is, you know, a lot of hundred dollar words, as my Joliet basic white girl self would would say. But let's talk about the hippocampus after all. So I sometimes when I present will say this is where the trauma is born. This is where the negative cognition begins to develop And we know that the negative cognition is what takes people out more than the trauma itself. So maybe for a quick example or reminder, um, a lot of first responders will say, dead bodies don't bother me. Or, you know, seeing someone in a terrible way, maybe burned and melting even into a carpet, isn't as traumatic as the negative thought that I have about myself looking at it. So if that triggered anybody, I apologize. Come on back. Don't think about that particular experience because we're going to talk about the hippocampus. So this thing very quickly is assessing if the situation looks familiar or if it doesn't. So the hippocampus um, does this weird, what I would call it's looking for brain files of old points of disturbance. And in the middle of the trauma right? Or your present day trigger, whatever's happening. Like literally the hippocampus job is to say, has this ever happened before? Has something similar happened before? How did it turn out by the way? And is this a real threat? Or should I just create a whole new neural pathway or brain file for this situation? And so that's a pretty intense job. And what's going to happen in a traumatic situation is your amygdala are going to fire up as well with this activation of trauma. And you have two amygdala, I I think they're like the size of a pea. So or maybe picture your pinky fingernail, something like that. You have two of them. You have a right one and a left one. It's the right one that perceives and processes a lot of emotional threat and information regarding the trauma. So I think if you remember me saying the right side of the brain is like that drop of water and it likes to deal with emotions, relationships, productivity, creativity. Well, your right amygdala is nestled in over there. And that's what I mean by it perceives and processes the emotional threat information. So both the right and left amygdala, though, are what rules your anger your fear and your anxiety it's the amygdala that gives you this heightened sense of danger and is prompting you to react which sometimes when I teach I will also talk about the HPA burnout at this point so the H is hypothalamus the P is pituitary gland and the A is your adrenal gland And if you have an HPA burnout, that's like adrenal fatigue. So if you are constantly exposed to human illness, human death, human suffering, human stupidity, and property destruction, you could be experiencing an HPA burnout or an adrenal fatigue. It makes you exhausted. It can make you moody. It does all kinds of things to your body that scream, please take care of me better, Um, but By and large, many first responders don't listen to the felt sense in their body, which is why I talk about it so much. So let's put the pieces of this crazy puzzle together. You have the brainstem, your forearm, and you have the thalamus, which is your fist. Now imagine that thing just going and waving all over the place because the thalamus is overwhelmed by the trauma and the information coming in. The amygdala activates to try to protect you by giving you anxiety or anger and fear. And the hippocampus, of course, gets fired up and it's saying, oh, my gosh, we have a worry. Check your files. What's going on? Now, what's sad about this is if you check a file and actually have a similar thing that happened in the past, I want to emphasize again that sometimes we'll take the negative cognition from the past and start to apply it to the future moment. So in previous podcasts, I said something simple like the fire chief walks in, says something condescending to you, your brain checks the file, dad used to do that to me, and now you're thinking I'm worthless. I don't deserve love. I can't do anything right. It's my fault. I should have done something. Then there's the negative cognition that makes that present day trigger so emotional and so difficult to cope with because you're not just coping with what's happening right now, you're trying to cope with something that's happened in the past. But I want to talk about the next part of your limbic lobe, which is your cingulate cortex. So this is going to receive information from the thalamus and your neocortex. So hang in there with me. Your neocortex has like six layers of cortex and cortex, cortex, I want to like say text and I only mean cortex. All right, hang in there. Um, Basically, it's involved in higher order functions. And when I say higher order function, I mean your perception, your cognition, the generation of any motor commands, reasoning, language, stuff like this. And it's going to send all that information to your interrenal cortex. We'll just call that the EC. All right. So when that happens via the cingulum, by the way, you're going to have a widespread network for memory navigation and perception, including the perception of time. So now your EC is the main crossroad for your hippocampus and your neocortex. So that's, again, it's getting kind of intense, but stay with me. Traumatic situation happens. Brainstem takes in the information. Thalamus says train tracks, not sure where to go. The amygdala fires up. It's fear and anxiety. The hippocampus starts talking negative shit, right? And when that happens, of course, now we're talking about fight, flight, and freeze, And again, that's the neocortex brain structures that are fired up. So what is fight, flight, and freeze? What's going on there? The fight is, I'm going to take this threat on. I think I can win. The flight is, I don't think I can take that on. I got to run. But at least you have a response there. The freeze is, I'm frozen by this threat. I'm overcome by this threat. You could be overcome because you're visiting an old brain file. You could be overcome because you believe you will die in that moment. So those are extremes, but that freeze happens. That means your neocortex shut down and you are in your limbic system. And when a human being is in their limbic system, they become very vulnerable and they become particularly vulnerable to a panic reaction, meaning they can't cope. So let's talk about first responder trauma. So first responder trauma on the job trauma is similar, actually, in research we've discovered to sexual assault trauma and combat trauma. And in sexual assault trauma and combat trauma, there's a higher prevalence of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. If you add a first responder's childhood adversity, any family history of psychopathology, if there were avoidant relationship types going on in their life or like poor social support in their childhood, they are going to be even more susceptible to developing PTSD. So some people, of course, want to argue about this all the time. It wasn't the situation. It wasn't my childhood. Maybe it's just my biology. Maybe something's just wrong with me. Do you think something's wrong with my brain, Sarah? When you're asking me that question, you're asking me, does my neuroendocrine system, does the neuroendocrine predisposition me to having trauma? And that doesn't mean something's wrong. It actually meant that something is right. Because yes, what we have learned through research, biologically speaking, is that your lower cortisol level people that experience a trauma, so in other words, if they had low stress hormones, low cortisol levels in their body or in their existence, that's just how they rolled, right? Before the trauma happens, they actually have an increased chance of developing PTSD. So maybe that takes us back to tabula rasa, the blank slate. If you had a blank slate, never experienced something traumatic before, then a traumatic event is more likely to cause ptsd or to have you develop ptsd so i want to be careful with that cause or develop i prefer to say developing ptsd because again in the american psychiatric association diagnostic and statistical manual of disorders holy cow um We say that you can't diagnose someone with PTSD until we see how did they do for those first 30 days. Did their brain get through it and process it or were they not able to cope? But most importantly, neuroendocrine predisposition means, is my biology causing me trauma? The answer is yes, only if you had lower stress levels before the trauma happened. So that's really significant piece of information, especially when I want to talk about firefighter and police behavioral health policies and laws in Illinois or maybe even in the United States altogether. But anyway, regardless of all of this, PTSD means that we have to heal something. And what do we have to heal? One, we have to heal the trauma. But in my mind, I'm in the limbic system. As a trauma therapist, I want to really understand what did your brainstem sense? Where did the thalamus get stuck? Um, How severe was the activation of your amygdala? What negative cognition started to develop because of the hippocampus? What's going on in your cingulate cortex or the cingulate gyrus of your brain? And that's communicating all this, I'm stuck, I'm stuck in the trauma. Um, another way to put that is there's three levels. So there's the reptilian brain, that's that brainstem area. That's your lowest functioning, most primitive part of your brain. Then there's the limbic brain, which I'm really trying to teach you about right now. That has the amygdala, the hippocampus, the thalamus in it. And then the neocortex. Now the neocortex is like the most advanced part of your brain. But if your lower brain is telling you a scary story, a traumatic story, a horror story, then the neocortex, which is in charge of planning and anticipating, it senses time, it puts things in context, it helps to inhibit your inappropriate behaviors and it helps you to make really good choices. Those are those three parts we have to try to heal, but I can't just jump and start healing the neocortex until I get to the reptilian brain, and then I work through the limbic brain, and then it starts to heal the neocortex, so... This is why when I teach a class on EMDR and on trauma, I'll show a picture of the brain and I have an arrow that says, we're gonna go from the top down and the bottom up and we're gonna integrate all this information. So my approach in the top down regulation is I want to use the frontal lobe for understanding. So the technique for that is actually what I'm doing right now. I'm giving you information and I'm trying to teach you the facts about your brain and how it functions. Like you can't help this. This is what's going to happen to a human being. And yet police and fire love to say that doesn't happen to me, but it does. They like to say, uh or not say but they like to present as being stoic like nothing's affecting them but inside they're like those RPMs and it's they're burning up or as i've said before they're like speedometers they're going 100 miles per hour toward a brick wall so i like to teach about this stuff for your understanding so that you can realize there's nothing wrong with you it's not your fault You are a human being. You should promote yourself to human status. That is the best way that you can possibly treat yourself. So again, in top-down regulation, I'm talking to your frontal lobes right now so that you can understand yourself, have empathy for yourself, have compassion for yourself. Again, I try to encourage people to live by love, gratitude, kindness, compassion, and wisdom. Now, what the the downfall could be about teaching people all this psychology, unfortunately, is what happens, we could get a bunch of first responders who intellectualize the information. So there's always a risk, right? So intellectualization is a high adaptive level response to a threat. It's It's a type of defense. So if I'm wanting to study all of this psychology, then I'm intellectualizing the information for my understanding, but it may not result in healing your feelings. So this was one of the um, peer support culture fears that I had had in the past when I was associated with that group, is that there was a lot of intellectualizing potentially that could happen, but not a lot of healing. And we don't want to have the unhealed trying to heal the hurt. So being mindful that this information is to help you understand, but you still may have to heal the feelings. So that's when we go to bottom up. Intellectualizing and understanding is a top down. Felt sense is a bottom up approach. So in past podcasts, I talked about the felt sense is what's going on in your body. So when you have an emotion that's In the limbic system and you get a present day trigger, that present day trigger is going to bring up a feeling that you will sense in your body. And if you can be in touch with the felt sense in your body, then we start to heal because you can recognize what your body's ancient wisdom is trying to share with you. So we can use EMDR to do bottom up therapy. We use bilateral stimulation, basically, or that eye movement to bypass the area of the brain on the left side that would normally self-soothe the right side. So if I'm not having you self-soothe, you're seeing the memory and you're processing it in its raw form without the defenses, without denial, without ignoring, without numbing or minimizing the situation. And Those are really important techniques for treating a trauma. So on top of or with EMDR, I also will talk about different types of techniques that I use. So you'll hear me talk about, and you might hear my dogs in the background, bummer, I'm not re-recording this, (laughs) but they're in here and they are uh, bossing me around a little bit. But the other common techniques or things that you're going to hear me talking about to pair... Oh, my goodness. I think my pug totally just... uh, I don't know what that was. Sneeze, a burp, or whatever. I'm so sorry. The other types of techniques are mindfulness. I also use a very genuine, authentic, transparent approach to the type of therapy that I do. Like, I am hugely a part of your therapy. I acknowledge that I am not only an instrument, but on the journey with you to get through these traumas. And so there is this idea of connecting with you, you connecting with yourself, you connecting with others, and of course, creating a lot of acceptance around the truth of your own experience and what has happened to you. And when all that happens together, there's that self care, the self care path, and everything that we need to do in order to take good care of yourself. And so, again, my hope in sharing this information was that one, you enjoy it, right? Because I certainly enjoy the explanations and the reasons why we have this subjective experience. And it has so much to do with these neat, you know, objective structures in our brain. And it's it's pretty interesting, but it's also and could be very healing for people to know that yeah, there's nothing wrong with you. This is just how a human brain is going to handle stimulus from the external world when it's traumatic or when it's even overwhelming or just stressful. So, I can't believe my dogs uh, hijacked the end of this particular session. Ooh, you want to say hi? <laughs> Maybe we have to get outside um, I guess I'll just do the closing And say thank you for listening to First Responder Psychological Support And I'm Sarah Gura A licensed clinical professional counselor For First Responders at the Self-Care Path In Burridge And please remember Do life so it doesn't do you Take good care Stay safe And I look forward to the next podcast Okay, bye-bye